Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and joining us on the show today, former editor of Field Goals and now current staff writer for The Ringer, the star of The Ringer NFL Show, as well as the co-host of the Dantasy Football Podcast, Denny Kelly. Welcome back to the show. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Wait, what are you laughing at the the star of the, the Ringer NFL Show thing for? I <laughs> Uh, that's a dubious claim, but uh, I definitely appreciate it. And yeah, I'll take it. Yeah. Well, you guys had uh, the big show this week, breaking down the coaches. I'm I'm sure we'll get into that in a little bit. And uh, but yeah. let's, you know, Danny, let's kick this thing off with some news because we've got some free agent news this week. And I went back to your May 13th article to look at the best NFL free agents left on the market. And I was disappointed to find that new Seahawks running back Carlos Hyde was not on that list. Ah, shoot. I wonder. I, I don't actually remember off the top of my head. I don't know if any running backs were on that list, to be honest, no, no, because I, I think, think at this point uh, <laughs> it's kind of just, you know, Hyde, I think, is interesting and he'll be a good piece of uh, depth or whatever for the position. I know that Pete Carroll finds it very, very important to have depth at that spot. But I mean, he's just I would say the definition of like a league average sustaining type run, running back. So um, makes a lot of sense that they. They wanted him. I, you know, you could argue that they gave him too much money, but um, that's kind of just the Seahawks for you. It's kind of what I expect from them at this point. Yeah, well, it seems like they they had because the report was that Devontae Freeman was a guy that they were targeting and yeah. you know, they had like a set four million dollar amount and maybe proposed that to Freeman. He turned it down. So they moved to the next guy on the list. It happened to be Hyde. As far as Seahawks running backs go, I feel like Hyde fits more of the Pete Carroll mold of of what they tend to look for in a running back. It was, the, the Freeman news was kind of interesting to me. Yeah, actually, I feel like Hyde fits more what they do. Like you said, I think he's he's that big guy. I think he's like 220 plus pounds. When he came out, he was maybe even bigger. I don't know how what he's now, but he was he's was listed at 230. So he's this big, explosive downhill runner he, he fits certainly the Seahawks I think style and he's a good I guess arbitrage or whatever just like an insurance you know policy for Chris Carson kind of the same style of running backs where you're gonna you know slam downfield try and break tackles he actually had over a thousand yards last year which I totally didn't realize until the Seahawks signed him I was like are you serious he had a thousand yards um but yeah, I mean, he, he's nothing like he's not like a game changer or anything like that. But, you know, if Carson can't go to start the year, Carson kind of develops all those uh, fumble issues that we saw last year. You know, they can always just turn to hide and, and kind of get that similar style. I don't think he's the same player, but this similar style. And, and I think Penny at this point that it's an indictment on what, what's going on with Penny. I think it sounds like he's not going to start the season. You know, you can't expect him back until at least week six now, maybe even later. And, you know, there's just with in, with Penny, like it was so frustrating because he looked so good. He was looking so explosive right before he got hurt. Right. And I was finally like I, I finally was this. These are this is I understand what the Seahawks see when they when they decided to when they what they saw when they decided to take him with the first first round pick, because to that point, you know, like halfway through the season last year, I was like, I just don't get it. I don't see what they saw that thought they that made them want to take him in the first round. And then I started to kind of, I'm like, okay, I think this is exactly who they saw. And then of course he tears his ACL and 
you know, in reality, it could kind of derail all the progress he had made because part of the reason he took so long to kind of get up to speed and get to that point where, you know, he looked like a first round running back is because he, he broke his hand, I believe, in training camp as a rookie and then gained weight. And then, you know, it's just like this, you know, snowball effect, I guess, where he just kind of like fell behind. And so I'm really, I'm, I'm nervous that's going to happen again. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely rambling now, but um, <laughs> it, it makes me worried. It makes me worried about Rashad Penny. Well, and, you know, going back to just what you were saying about the idea of maybe the picture that Pete Carroll had in mind with Carson and Penny together was starting to take shape around that Philadelphia right. Eagles game. And Penny was looking good. And you add that to Chris Carson and his, the physical play that he gives you. And then, yeah, thinking back to last season after Penny went down and then the game where both Carson and Procise go down in nearly back-to-back plays. And it, it, it felt like the Seahawks, the, the, the playoff version of the Seahawks that we saw a couple weeks earlier was all gone by the end of that Arizona game. Yeah. And I, I just think Pete Carroll, you know, he doesn't want to have that situation again. I don't think Travis Homer is necessarily the same style of player. I think they, I'm honestly, I'm guessing they got Homer because they want him for, for special teams. Yeah. I don't know if they necessarily see him as like a starter type of guy that can do that sustaining style of running that, you know, the, the lead backs in this offense typically have. So, um, and honestly, DJ Dallas might not be that guy either. We don't know yet. We haven't really seen him. We haven't seen how they plan to use him. He may be more of like a third down type back. So, yeah, I think overall the Carlos Hyde signing says Penny's not going to be ready. They don't necessarily trust that he'll be ready at all this year because, you know, Hyde has a relatively good amount of money in his contract. I think a lot of it is I, I didn't look at it closely, but I think some of it is obviously performance based or whatever. But if it's anything similar to the Freeman offer, which was four million, I believe that's like not nothing. So they see him as part of the team, I guess. And, and yeah, that to me is a little bit nerve wracking for Penny going forward. Does that worry you at all as far as the the amount goes? Because I, people are saying, you know, Bruce Irvin came in a little bit higher than maybe people were expecting. And then now you have the, the Carlos Hyde deal. And there's a pass rusher that's still out there that I know a lot of Seahawks fans would still like on the team. Uh, maybe even another guy as a backup. You know, if you're talking Jadevian Clowney and Everson Griffin, uh, are, are you starting to get a little bit worried about the amount of space that's left? <laughs> yeah. That yeah, that's the thing that if you kind of look at the different signings, any of these signings individually aren't super worrisome, I think. But when you group them all together, like the ones that you mentioned, um, it's like our, they're spending a whole bunch of money on these like middle range veteran players, and it 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 just gives them less flexibility to go out and get that you know the type of play that'll get you, get you over the hump. And it might just be a philosophical thing for the Seahawks, like they'd rather have eight players that they know. They can get contributions from five of them or whatever this year versus going out and getting this one elite player like Jadavian Clowney where, you know, he's missed games in the past. You know, the reliability thing I'm sure is is a factor for them. I'm sure that's why his market is so dry because he's had injuries in the past. He just had a core muscle surgery, I believe, in the offseason. Can't really see him because of the coronavirus. Just a lot of uncertainty that creates. And so. You know, maybe it's just Pete Carroll and John Schneider's conservative nature. Obviously, they, they've been aggressive in free agency before, but maybe they're just thinking we'd rather have the depth. We'd rather have the overall roster depth and like go big on this one guy and not have the season turn if he gets hurt, if, if that makes any sense. I, you know, if, you, if I'm trying to get into their heads, I think that's probably what they're thinking. 
How are you feeling about where the Seahawks are now coming out of the draft and with a couple of moves that they've made in free agency so far? I think I'm, I'm pretty similar in my mindset as I was last year, which is I think I see them as, you know, I could see them win 10 games and I could see them go back to the playoffs, it, you know, especially in expanded playoffs right now, which probably helps them in this scenario. Um, I could see them go back to the playoffs for sure. But at the same time, I think they're they're clearly a flawed team. You know, their defense isn't nearly as good as it used to be. Um, they were middling pretty much across the board last year. They have, you know, there's still the, the big, huge question mark of, of what style of ball they're going to play. And are they going to let Russell Wilson do his thing? You know, I'm still very skeptical that they're going to let him kind of, you know, lead loose or whatever and let him cook or whatever. But for whatever reason, the Seahawks are still always like a nine or 10 win team every single year. So I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying they're going to just, you know, go in the whatever. I think that they'll still be solid. Um, I, they'll still be a competitive team. They'll still play their style of ball. I really like the future of like DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. I, I think the actual the Philip Dorsett signing is pretty interesting. Um, there's certainly some, some very interesting things happening on offense, but I think the defense is a big question mark, particularly the pass rush where they're going to be relying on, you know, some young players here, Daryl Taylor, I'm, I'm high on, but you know, it, it, when you're relying on a rookie pass rusher, that's a big, big red flag for me. Well, yeah, I mean, and anytime, you know, there, and there's always a lot of criticism about the way that the Seahawks draft. They, they are kind of handicapped in the way that they're always drafting at the back end of the first round. So <laughs> yeah. it, it makes it a little bit tougher to go out and get a top tier pass rusher when you're drafting at the bottom of the first round. Those guys are usually gone. So yeah, the, the guys that they've gotten, though, it, and Daryl Taylor, you know, one of those guys that they're probably counting on. I'm sure they're going to count on LJ Collier to make a, a jump in his second year. Rasheem Green, a, a guy who... You know, it was probably poised to to make a jump based on his some of his play at last season. But it does feel like a lot of unknowns is because we haven't seen it yet. I, I just wonder how much projection is going on within the team versus you know what we see. I will say I think, you know, I'm just kind of thinking about it as as you're talking, like the one variable that I think they certainly have on their side going into this season. And because this has been the weirdest off season ever, this has been an unprecedented, it will be an unprecedented season. It will be an unprecedented, you know, the off season program is going to be completely truncated. The The preseason might be totally different. The season is going to be completely different teams that have continuity and mm-hmm. like a very specific established identity, philosophy, coaching staff, quarterback, Seattle, Seattle has all that. And that could be a really big advantage in this year when you're having a, like, you know, teams are trying to do practice over Zoom and all this stuff. Like having all that established, I guess, just continuity could be a huge, huge advantage and give them the, the type of edge that they really need. Because, yeah, we just don't know what the season is look like. There, there might not be fans in the stands. It, it might be a completely different, weird like schedule if the, if the league gets off, um, gets started late which could certainly still happen, although it's starting to look like that won't happen. But, you know, we never really know how things are going to develop. So I will say there's a huge amount of question marks about projecting some of these players, you know, and, and there's now there's huge questions whether Quinn Dunbar is going to even be on the team. Right. And so, you know, there's questions everywhere. But I think that the foundation, like I said, of having that foundation of continuity could be really helpful for them. 
And you're right, especially when you're considering coaching continuity, having Pete Carroll back, having the same offensive and defensive coordinator. You're not trying to install a new offense like some other teams around the league. But there is one area of continuity that I'm especially concerned about when it comes to the Seahawks. And Danny, I want to talk about that with you coming up right after the break. Former Field Goals editor Danny Kelly joining me on the show today, and we are talking about the Seahawks and some continuity issues. And going into the break, you know, we were talking about continuity and how that could work out really well for them. And that's why it really surprised me when Pete Carroll and John Schneider made that decision to cut Justin Britt and DJ Fluker because they had an opportunity to return quite a few starters on the offensive line. And now by making those cuts, I think it makes that area of the team a big question mark uh, because if you if you at least kept those guys around for continuity sure i mean <laughs> is there that much of a drop that's going to they're going to go from DJ Fluker to Damian Lewis i mean it could be and you can't really count on Lewis as a rookie but you know they have a lot of depth uh with a lot of the other guards on the team Justin Britt though a you know, long-term guy and and we saw enough of Joey Hunt last year to i i think know that we don't necessarily want him as the day one starter for the team but they go right. out and get BJ Finney yeah, another one of those guys where yeah they they didn't pay a whole lot to, but it's another mid tier uh, salary cap move by them. It, it was just a little bit odd to me that they they made that shift kind of after they knew that continuity is probably going to be important going into this year. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good counterpoint. And I mean, honestly, at this point, I'm just so used to the Seahawks' offensive line being bad that I you know it. <laughs> It's not even honestly something I think about that much anymore right. <laughs> because it's just like every year you just expect it to be bad or at wor- at best average, you know, which I think it probably was closer to average than terrible last year. But but still, um, you know, I don't ever feel like it's going to be something that they really rely <laughs> on and lean on. So it's you make a good point. And I think the continuity there, you're going to have potentially three or four different starters like Dwayne Brown is pretty much the only for sure yeah, starter the only guarantee right so yeah that's that's definitely going to be a factor and, and hopefully it's not a factor that really sinks them and it hasn't been in the past uh but you know you never really know how this group is going to work out it could go back to being one of the worst in the league hopefully that won't happen yeah i think with russell i, I think the team does count on him and his mobility a little bit and yeah uh, so it, we'll, we'll see how that goes uh, it, it's something that it's probably even more than the pass rush, the the continuity on the offense is probably now my bigger concern because you know, if the pass rush doesn't get any better than last year, uh, I, I don't think it can get much worse necessarily. I mean, not having Clowney right. on the team is it, it's going to have an impact because, you know, that's one guy that other teams don't have to plan to double team. But as far as productivity, I, I don't think they could go much lower. <laughs> right. They weren't. I, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I think weren't they? They were near the league, like worst in in pressure rate and all those things. At least in the yeah. th- bottom third of, of all teams, and so, yeah, it's certainly not their strength, and it, and it's a huge question mark. I really, gosh, I really hope L.J. Collier isn't just a complete zero, you know, because he, I I liked him enough when he came out, you know, I thought I think I had him in like the forties or something like that. So it was a little bit of a reach for the Seahawks to take him in the first round, but that's no surprise; they always do that, right? Um, and he just did absolutely nothing as a rookie, which is pretty rare and obviously a terrible, terrible sign. Yeah. And he wasn't like hurt either. So 
If well, he could make I, a jump, you know, I, I yeah. keep I keep hearing Pete and and, and John throughout this offseason maybe hint on the fact that Collier was more hurt than they let on to during the season. Well, I hope so. That would that would make me feel better about it. And as long as they're not just making excuses for themselves. I mean, <laughs> which they they they've done that in the past, I think, where sure. kind of like, you know, they, they say things in, in pressers or interviews that kind of just like defend and, and insulate their players against criticism a little bit. So who knows? Who knows? You know, he wasn't he said he, he I don't remember him being on the injury report, at least not like anything serious. And so, um yeah, I'm just really hoping he could kind of develop and and play with, you know, he's never going to be an explosive speed rusher, but like play with more power, be more effective just doing what he's doing because we, just, we didn't see anything hardly. No, no. And with the terrible season that Ziggy Anza had, I mean, I kept making the argument like, keep what, forgetting. Yeah. what do you I have to lose by putting team. in Collier over what? <laughs> I mean, give the rookie some snaps over what we're seeing from Anza because he's not doing anything. I, I forgot he was on the team, yeah. to be honest. Like, well, it's, it, it's one of those things. Forgettable season. My odds are for sure. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be very interesting to see because, we, you know, the the one big thing right now is are they going to be a base-only team again? Because they played base defense like 70-something percent of the time last year, which is this complete and total outlier compared yeah. to the rest of the league. You know, I, I that's not typical of Carroll and like what his defense has been and they've they've been a team that's been flexible and in, schematic in, in terms of like a personnel and things like that over the years um so that's going to be a very interesting storyline too I, I think it does speak to the flexibility though and I know that you know especially in this past week pro football focus put out um uh, an article about the Seahawks running so much base defense and how much of an outlier it was this past season and I think back to it, and the reason why they played a lot of base defense is because Jamar Taylor was so terrible. When, <laughs> you know, talk about guys that you forget were on the team, but that was a guy that they cut midseason yep. as their nickel cornerback. And yeah, you really, you know, if there's that move that you you wish that the team could take back, it's allowing Justin Coleman to go to Detroit. And and yeah, maybe a salary cap wise, it didn't make sense. But Jamar Taylor was so bad last year that I think that was really their best personnel grouping. And that's what they had to go with. Yeah. I mean, that's right on. I actually was reading a great article from Shiel Capadia over at the athletic um, where he kind of looked at the Seahawks season and from an analytical point of view, you know, like you said, we are, we're all complaining about the Seahawks playing base, which is like, you know, equally as backward in the current, like, version of the NFL as their like obsession with running. So like they were doing this on both sides of the ball and it's right. just like driving people crazy, you know, in a pass first pass heavy league where passing is so much more efficient. The Seahawks are running base defense and running the ball like more than almost any team anyways. Um, but what Shield pointed out in his article is exactly what he said. The Seahawks were terrible, terrible in their nickel, in their nickel defense. So you almost kind of look at Pete and like, you know, thank you for not running that more because uh, they made they made the most out of what, you know, what personnel they had. You know, you could certainly make the argument they didn't do a good job of planning for for what, you know, that situation. Um, but based on the, the personnel, or they for had, a guy like Pete Carroll, who, you know, it preaches competition. 
the idea that you didn't have enough competition behind Jamar Taylor. And I know by the end of the season, we were seeing Ugo Amadi out there and he you know, was getting beat in the Packers game. But I, I think there, people saw the upside in him and I think the Seahawks saw, saw the upside in him. And you hear Pete talking about, oh, well, maybe we should have played him a little more. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think there is some criticism there that either there wasn't enough competition or, yeah, like you said, planning for it. Yeah, but bottom line is the personnel that they had, their their nickel group was terrible. Their nickel group was just not effective. And so that's a big part of the reason they stuck with that base. You know, obviously, I think they trusted what, you know, whoever it was playing the nickel spot, like Michael Kendricks or, you know, they, they'd kind of move guys around, whatever. Um, I They obviously trusted that group a lot more than they trusted, you know, whatever they had going with nickel. So, right. Um, I don't think it was by choice. In other words, I don't think it was by choice. I think they were just like, this is the best that we can do right now with what we got. You know, it's too late to like, you can't cry about not having more depth at this point. Right. Um, we just kind of have to go with it. So hopefully, you know, they didn't really do a ton to address that spot again. So we'll see if that means they're going to just keep doing it. But maybe Umadi takes, uh, takes a big jump. Maybe they find some other guy on waivers or whatever when all the, the roster cutdowns go, go down. Um, but yeah, it's to me, that's like the big storyline of, of the defense going forward this year is what kind of like, will they adjust? Yeah. The secondary is just one of the more fascinating questions because you have Trey Flowers coming back after a bit of a down year. But then you have Quentin Dunbar. And like you said, we'll see if he actually makes it to the regular season. Uh, maybe things right. are looking a little bit better after this last week than they were two weeks ago. But uh, and then you have Marquise Blair, who they picked in the second round of last year's draft. So they have, and then Quandre Diggs, the, the guy that they picked up in the middle of the season, we would hopefully get to see him for a full season now, and he'll be over his hamstring injury and all that. So, uh, how that secondary ends up coming together is kind of one of the more fascinating questions going into this next season. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, it, you you named a couple of guys that I'm actually very excited to see how they develop. Marquise Blair. It feels like last year he was just too, like frenetic or something like playing with his hair on fire. That's obviously what they love about him. Like he comes downhill hard. He hits, he's not afraid to blow, blow up, you know, guys coming over the middle and all that. Like, I think they want that edge mm -hmm. that they haven't really had since camp chancellor left. And so, you know, maybe, maybe they figure out a way for him to kind of just play like a, like a robber lurk role over the middle of the field, figure something out for him that uh, a, a way that he can do that. Cause that would, that would make a big difference in my mind. Um, you know, I don't know if, Delano Hill is ever going to happen, but he's still kind of in the mix. I, I didn't and mention him his, his name at all for a reason, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't seem like he's going to happen at this point. But yeah, the Dunbar thing, I think they probably see him as a potential to play in the slot, too. So, um, you know, maybe that was their plan. And, and obviously their plan could be affected by, you know, what happens with this charge. But um, yeah, we'll see. We'll kind of see how that all plays out. Well, for as much as we've been talking about Pete Carroll and the way that he's made his moves on offense and defense, I, I listened to the latest episode of the Ringer NFL show, Danny, and you had Pete Carroll ranked in your top five of coaches. Yeah, which I think was it. To be honest with you, when I went into it, I was pretty surprised I had him ranked higher than everyone because, you know, I'm I would say I'm probably more in the, you know, like whiner group, I guess, of like the current strategy that Seahawks always seem to apply. Like I'm always just a little bit frustrated watching the Seahawks. Uh -huh. And that goes back to the times that I was working at field goals. You know, like it's just so frustrating all the time. 
but my point kind of in, in that, in that discussion was you can't really argue with the body of work. You can't argue with the fact that, um, he's come in and installed a very specific and explicit philosophy, identity, you know, he just, he has that CEO mentality where he oversees everything. His mark is on every single piece of the organization and you can't, that is something that's very, very difficult to, I guess, like it's not tangible necessarily, but at the same time, it's hard to reproduce. We've seen his, his protégés go to other places and, and try and install like the Seahawks style, uh, identity and culture and all that. And it just hasn't worked at all. Um, so I, yeah, I, I, I was pretty surprised I had him ranked, I think higher, maybe Kevin had him ranked around the same area, but, um, he's incredibly frustrating, but, but at the same time, I still think he's a very good football coach and, you know, hopefully, hopefully he can kind of adapt over the last few years of his career. I don't know how long he wants to keep going, but. Well, we did um, see a little bit of an adaptation. We saw a shift anyway, from the 2018 season to the 2019 season where they were throwing the football more and. Uh, it, it was pretty decent amount that uh, that it shifted from 2018 to 2019 in terms of pass plays, especially uh, when it went when it came to the first half uh, versus the the second half when you compared 20, uh, 2018 to 2019. So I, I think there's I think there's still room for a shift there. I, I wouldn't expect as a Seahawks fan to suddenly you know Pete Carroll have oh. this big change in philosophy. Like if you're, if you're a Seahawks fan and you're hoping for Pete Carroll to make a big you know, change, I, I, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't get your hopes up for that, but I, I would at least right. make room for it, it, it to shift a little bit. I think you, you could see, I think you're absolutely right. Like there's not, not going to be a wholesale thing. There's still going to be a team that places a high priority on being able to run the ball. I think Pete Carroll He's always said, you know, going back to his time at USC, like they always want the ability to go to the run game when they need it for, you know, that's just like one of his core beliefs. He's never going to stop doing that. And the way that you, you can run in his mind is, is to have a, a mentality of that. You want to be a, like a run team, like a kick, you know, punch you in the face team or whatever. So like, I don't, that's not, that's not going to change, but there's certainly some things, some subtle ways that they could do it. And specifically, like passing more on second down, it's passing more on first and second down. Sure. Um, letting Russell Wilson, you know, do more of that hurry up stuff. And Wilson's been, I think he's been advocating for it in the in the press. Like it's very subtle, but I, I he, think for three years he's been advocating for it in the press. <laughs> <laughs> but he's been ramping it up a little bit. I feel yeah. like this offseason, and, and so maybe that you know changes things slightly. I, I do know I've kind of heard through the grapevine that. Um, Schottenheimer is maybe a little bit open to figuring out ways to become more efficient. I don't, ultimately it's Pete Carroll's team and that's, you know, well, I, you know, I think back Danny to what was it? The first two games of 2018, right? When they played the Broncos on the road and then the bears and they ran the ball very little in those two games and they lost two games that they probably should have won. And I think about just how different that would have, how, how differently that season would have gone if those two games would have worked out as wins versus losses. I know. And especially <laughs> if they're playing two of the two very good defenses, you know, in those games. So people always point to those. Who, oh yeah. They tried passing. It didn't work. It's like, come on. First of all, 
that's like the smallest sample size ever. It's against two really good defenses. And, and you know, and in one game, at least that was on the road. I can't remember if they were both on the road. They were both on the um, road because they opened up in Denver, where Denver rarely, ever, even when they're bad, they rarely ever lose their home openers. And yeah, then they're the, so good at home in, in, in September, right? Like right. it's, uh, it's unreal. It's ridiculous. Um, so like when people point to that, like it drives me nuts. It's like, Oh, they tried that. It didn't work for two games on the road against great defenses. Like, shut up. Like that's not, that doesn't tell us. Yeah, anything. Two of the best defensive lines in all of football <laughs> that year too, because you have uh, Vaughn Miller and then Cleo Mack and back to back weeks. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, I don't, I don't think like that argument doesn't work for me. Um, and I don't, I don't think it's a good argument, but, um, yeah, it, it is a very interesting point because it's that those two games, I think certainly stuck out in Pete Carroll's mind. And he was like, okay, we got to come to Jesus moment. Like we're getting, we're, we're getting away from what I want to do. And so I don't, I don't even really think it's, it's not, uh, it's not Schottenheimer's offense really. It, it, he's, he's the reason Pete Carroll brought Schottenheimer in instead of like a guy like Lincoln Riley or whoever. Someone they could have gotten from the college game is because Pete Carroll still wants to do his offense. He mm-hmm. wants a guy like Bevel who's going to be like minded and, and, and want to do the things that he does on offense. And, you know, there are things I love about the Seahawks offense, honestly. I'm not complaining completely all the time about the Seahawks offense. I love that they're explosive. I love that they attack downfield. You know, they, they really go for the jugular a lot in, in, those situations. But it, to me, like getting back, circling back to what, what we were talking about, like, Certain situations, first, first and 10, second and 10, pass the freaking ball and set yourself up for more success. It doesn't have to be a wholesale change. It can just be those specific areas. And I also think this is a small thing, but maybe the reason we saw so much focus on tight ends in, in this offseason is when Will Disley went down, it really hurt their ability to run that quick tempo, quick passing game that they were doing a lot early on in the season last year. Mm-hmm. Um I remember I made a cut up of, of Will Disley early in the season, like after like four games or something like that, five games. And Wilson was just getting the ball out, you know, like really fast. Hit his back foot, ball out, ball out, ball out. And that's the, the, the part of the Seahawks offense I think was really, really missing later in the season. They could run it and then they'd chug it deep. But like that intermediate short game was really inconsistent. And so, you know, maybe that's why you know, I don't think that Disley's per- necessarily going to be what he was early in his career. You, he suffered two of the worst injuries you can have in the lower body and in, in, in his Achilles and patellar. And so I don't think we can expect him to be what he was. Hopefully he will be, but I don't know if we can expect it. So maybe the Olsen signing, maybe, you know, going out and getting Colby Parkinson is a signal that they want to return to having that big, reliable you know, soft hands target in the middle of the field where they can kind of get the ball out quickly. And that Russell Wilson looked completely comfortable in that. Yeah. And I think he wants to do it more, uh, but maybe they just like Hollister wasn't that guy. And, you know, I don't know if Luke Wilson's ever going to be that guy. So maybe Danny, th- that could be an interesting one. Maybe that's why Russell Wilson is advocating for Antonio Brown to come to the Seahawks. I mean, yeah, <laughs> when you're like, take away all the off-field stuff. He's one of the greatest receivers of all time. So I completely right. <laughs> kind of get And he's available. Apparently, you know, he's having a hard time finding a job. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, obviously, the NFL is still going through the due diligence, I guess, of what all happened there. And, I, you know, I don't know what his status is with the NFL at all. Yeah. But um, he certainly seems to be trying to get back into the league. And we've seen him practicing with a lot of quarterbacks, including Geno Smith, apparently. 
if I had to put money on it, I bet he's back in the league at some point. So the question is, who's gonna who's gonna take him? Who's gonna who's gonna deal with them? And, you know, New England really was at that point to where they were going to be the team that wanted to deal with him. And the news came out at the worst possible moment in terms of when they signed him that they pretty much had no choice but to to get rid of him at that point. So, right. I, I do think a team takes a chance on him. And just in terms of you want to see a guy recover and, and do well based off of, you know, learn, learn some lessons based off what you did on the, in the past and right. be that successful hall of fame type player that we've seen in the past. I, I think that would be a positive thing. So uh, just what team ends up being the one to go to and, and get that out of them and thinking that it would, you know, a veteran coach with, uh, I, I could almost talk myself into Pete Carroll being the guy that could get that out of him. <laughs> Yeah, same here. I mean, other than the fact, you know, they did make a lot of personnel moves over the last year plus to um, kind of, I guess, there was a report last year, I believe, that they wanted the, the locker room to be a little bit more quieter. I don't know exactly what the, the exact language that report said, but something along those lines where you're taking away some of the biggest outspoken personalities and kind of like trying to get it more focused on football you're getting, or something like that. You're dancing around the word, Danny. That's the hoopla factor. They, they were trying <laughs> to downplay the amount of hoopla in the, in the locker room. And they've had varying degrees of, um, willingness to deal with that over the years. you know, when they had the Legion of boom in here, there was tons of that stuff, but obviously they've been bitten a little bit about it. Like Percy Harvin obviously did not work out. And, you know, towards the end, it, it didn't seem like Richard Sherman was, <laughs> working out for them clearly because they cut him. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, I guess probably not going to be the Seahawks, but I definitely wouldn't rule it out either. He's Danny Kelly of the ringer. Danny, what do you got uh, coming up here over the next few weeks as we're hopefully moving toward the start of the regular season here? Well, right now we're just working on fantasy stuff a lot. We got, um, a bunch of fantasy content coming out this summer. So, head down on, on like fantasy rankings and things like that. So that's really exciting. And then, um, let's see next week I was working on an article, uh, I, I, it should be publishing either tomorrow or next week on, um, players that need a breakout season next year. So mm. guys like John Ross and Corey Davis and a few others. So, um, yeah, just kind of working on fantasy stuff right now, which is really fun. Nice. Well, be sure and check that out. He's Danny Kelly. Follow him on Twitter at Danny B. Kelly. Maybe with enough work, we can we can get Danny tweeting about the Seahawks again. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> A big thanks to Danny. Always fun talking Seahawks with Danny Kelly. And if you're looking for more Seahawks talk going into this weekend, hop on over to fieldgoals.com. Working on some fun stuff over there. And also some news from this past week. The fourth and 15 onside kick alternative. Once again, it fails to pass. Mookie Alexander has a story on that. And a little bit earlier this week, if you want to relive some moments from the 2010 to 2014 Seahawks, Mookie Alexander took a look at the best win from each game in those particular seasons. Check that out. Fieldgoals.com. I'll be back here soon to talk more Seahawks football. So until then, go Hawks. <laughs>